This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condes Presley. This is a very significant week in our community. First of all, we are just past the 100-day mark of the new Donald Trump presidency. That happened just this past Saturday, and we are now less than 60 days out from a runoff election in Georgia's 6th Congressional District, an election that has significant national attention, an election that the president has said is the 6th District versus Hollywood. And now in our studio, our guest is a Democratic strategist. He worked on Mayor Kasim Reed's campaign. He has worked on the Obama campaigns. Theron, you said you've worked on governors, three congressionals, three congressional members. Uh, Theron Johnson, who is a strategist and is in studio and can share with us what we ought to be paying attention to and whether or not this Democrat has an opportunity to win an election that he almost won. That's what the national media said. He just came just so close at 48% of the vote in the uh, in the initial uh, primary, no, the first, the special election is what it was called. Uh, and now we'll face Karen Handel in the runoff on June 20th. Aaron Johnson, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be on the show with you today. So let's just go ahead and jump into the, the 6th District race first. I was reading that the analysts, the operatives, the people with the inside knowledge like you said that if Ossoff as a candidate had gotten 45 percent of the vote, that would suggest to the Republican Party in the 6th District has been traditionally a, a Republican district in Republican hands since Newt Gingrich, I think, was elected back in 79, that he stood a chance of, of winning the race. And now what I'm reading and seem to be hearing is that now that it's him versus Karen Handel, that now she perhaps has the um, you know, the greater opportunity of winning on June 20th. What do you say? Well, John Ossoff's campaign exceeded all expectations. If you and I were having this conversation six months ago, we all would have thought that a Republican, he or she, would have had an opportunity of winning in this district, possibly without a runoff, but that the Republican in the race would have gotten upwards to 45 percent, even close to 50 percent. What John Ossoff's campaign is about is two things. One, it's sort of a symbol of resistance towards President Trump. All over the country, we've seen millions and millions of Americans marching to resist this president, but particularly we've seen hundreds and thousands of women, uh, particularly white women and also women of color, protesting this uh, president. So what John Ossoff's campaign did is that it was the sort of second or third opportunity for Democrats to really come out and express their rights by voting and saying, hey, we want to vote against what we see going on in Washington, a president who is unfit and who's not able to govern at a time where the country needs him the most. But the second symbol that the Ossoff campaign was for a lot of people in the 6th District is that it was a symbol of hope. This was the opportunity for voters in the 6th District who, by the way, uh, almost uh, this district almost was a district that Hillary Clinton won in 2016. Donald Trump, then-candidate Donald Trump, only won this district by 1%. So this is a district that has been changing for a very long time, and we saw that evidence not only in the general election between uh, all the candidates that were in the, um, the election recently, but we also saw it in the presidential election year. What's so unique about this district is that it's really... Uh, a reflection of how Georgia looks right now and what Georgia is becoming. You have counties like Cobb County, Fulton County, and DeKalb. 
in 2016, in November 2016, Hillary Clinton won Cobb County. This was a tremendous victory for Democrats. She won Gwinnett as well. Correct. She also won Gwinnett. But particularly in Cobb, how she won that, uh, that, that county was because there are a lot of disaffected Republicans who live there. These are Republicans who were not that excited about Hillary Clinton, probably, but they knew that they were totally disappointed because you had a guy in Donald Trump who had become their nominee and he did not represent the traditional values of the Republican Party. So a lot of these disaffected Republicans, many of whom I think are educated white women in Cobb County, decided to vote for Hillary Clinton. So what we saw in this race with John Ossoff is that he not only did well in DeKalb County, which is the number one Democratic county in the state of Georgia, but he did extremely well in the portions of East Cobb that is also in the 6th District, and he did um, beyond expe- he, he, he went beyond expectations to do well in certain portions of Fulton, like Rodswell and Sandy Springs. Where Karen Handel did a really good job of showing that this district was sort of gerrymandered and, written and drawn in a way that clearly favor, favors a Republican, is that if you look at the precincts that she actually won, all of those precincts are actually up in Milton and Alpharetta and Johns Creek. If you combine all of the votes that John Ossoff got and other Democrats in the race, and you combine all of the votes that Karen Handel and all the Republicans in the race receive, there's about a 4,000 gap. So if you combine all the Republican votes versus all the Democratic votes, the Republicans outvoted Democrats by roughly 4,000 votes. What's going to be so important for this runoff is that John Ossoff has got to basically have a message that continues to be that symbol of hope and resistance to a lot of the Democrats who voted in this race. But I'm here to tell you that he cannot win on June 20th by just getting Democratic votes. His campaign is going to have to make a pivot. He's going to have to start talking about issues that Republicans, particularly Republican women, care about in that district. Because if he allowed the Republicans to pigeonhole him and, and identify him as a liberal, crazy Democrat from Georgia who's running to represent a Republican district in Washington— his chances of winning are very slim. But if John Ossoff, who's a 30-year-old newcomer who came out of nowhere, Constance, and surprised not only Georgia but the world and stood up and said, hey, I'm a proud Georgia Democrat, but I want to go to Washington to hold Donald Trump accountable, but more importantly, I want to cut wasteful spending. If he can do that type of, uh, if he can have that type of campaign with that type of message and not be afraid to start talking about issues that matter to a lot of these disaffected Republicans, I think he has a really good shot of winning on June 20th. Well, he's certainly going to have the resources for the advertising that's necessary. I mean, he goes into the runoff with a significant war chest. He had more than $8 million going into the special election. How easy is it going to be for Karen Handel to get the Republicans who voted in the special election to consolidate behind her? Because she has to navigate, as you said, the Trump factor. She, I've yet to hear her say his name. Well, that's a very delicate balance that Karen Handel's campaign has got to strike. So here's the, here's the challenge for them. Karen Handel, who many of whom say that she fits the model of a traditional Republican. She is a establishment Republican. She has held office before as a Fulton County chairwoman. Uh, she's also held office of Secretary of State. Um, but she has run unsuccessfully for governor. So a lot of 
experts on my friends on the Republican side are saying that Karen Handel was the top vote getter amongst the Republicans and finished second in the race because of name recognition. Well, here's the challenge. Um, Karen Handel, she she epitomizes what Donald Trump ran against in November of last year. Remember, Donald Trump's message was, I want to go clean up the swamp in Washington. I mm -hmm. want to get career politicians out of these positions. I want to bring a new governing style to Washington. Well, Karen Handel is a traditional career politician who, quite frankly, is a, a person who represent all of what Donald Trump ran against. Now, it has come out recently that Donald Trump right now has a 40% approval rating amongst Americans. I'm here to say that I suspect that Donald Trump's approval rating in the 6th District, if not 40%, could possibly be lower than that. Really? So Karen Handel's challenge is, how do you say no to a sitting president who can come to Georgia, who can raise you millions and millions of dollars for your campaign at a time where you're worried about how his support, not only fundraising for you, but publicly through his tweets and through his rants um, to, the, to the media and to the public, will that help or hurt her campaign? What I've seen recently from her campaign is on the night when she um, was – uh, going to the runoff with John Ossoff when she knew that she was going to be the second place finisher, finisher, there was no mention of Donald Trump in her remarks. Since then, you've seen her campaign sort of embrace the president and saying, hey, we're open to not only Donald Trump's support, we're open to all Republicans supporting her. I think what the voters of the 6th District should really pay very close attention to is that if this unpopular president in Donald Trump decides to continue to uh, tweet and to get involved in a sixth district race, which is going to be the biggest race in the country right now, would that help or hurt her campaign? I suspect that what Karen Handel's campaign is probably going to do is allow Donald Trump to raise money for them, but I don't foresee her um, standing shoulder to shoulder with him, uh, allowing him to run ads about her. But if she does that, if she decides to do that, I think that there's no better person in America right now that can motivate Democrats better than President Donald Trump. So the uh, the the sort of outcome and the effect that it will have if she chooses to fully embrace embrace this president is that I think it would it excite and it would motivate Democrats in the sixth district to come out for John Ossoff. But what John Ossoff has got to do is that he can't fall into that trap. He can't focus his campaign only on Donald Trump. He's got to talk about the issues of health care, education, foreign policy, and jobs, these issues that matter to those voters. But I think we're going to have to really wait and see the role that President Trump will play in this race. How important will the early vote be? Because June 20th is in the middle of summer. That's often when a lot of Republicans, a lot of people in the metro Atlanta area, period, just tend to go on vacation. Early vote is paramount for the success of both candidates, but particularly John Ossoff. John Ossoff dominated the early vote during the general election. He won the early vote in every single county. That's Cobb, DeKalb, and Fulton. He was able to do so well in early vote where we, know, we knew going into election night that it was not highly likely, it was extremely likely that John Ossoff was going to be in the runoff. What he's got to do is that he's got to encourage his voters to go out early and cast their votes before they go on vacation, um, before they go away to spend time with their families. He's got to make sure that early voting is a key part of his campaign. 
But the other thing I want to say on this show, because this is a very informed listener base that you have, is that we need to encourage Fulton County, Cobb County, and DeKalb County, and not for political partisan reasons, but they need to open up additional early vote sites. Voters who want to go and express their fundamental right by voting for whoever they choose to vote for, it's a question of how accessible are the county officials making it for these people to go out and to vote. So I submit that I think that the bigger issue around early voting is not so much um, getting people to the polls, but making sure that it's a geographical balance between where the early vote locations are located. So moms and dads who are busy raising their children and even new registered voters who are in school who want to go and vote early because they're busy studying, they need to be afforded an opportunity to early vote. And so I think that um, not only early vote, people who are traveling, who know they're going to be traveling during the election day, absentee ballot will be important too. People who vote absentee, I think that they will request those ballots early and hopefully the Secretary of State's office and the county election offices will get these folks their absentee ballots so they can fill them out and send them back before they decide to be out of town on June 20th. One of the big stories on the day of the special election, Theron, was an interview that John Ossoff gave to one of the networks where he was questioned about where he lives and he does not live in the district. How big a problem is that for him? You know, um, John John is someone who I've known for nine years, and um, I would have told him, John, this is going to be an issue that Republicans are going to focus on to try to discredit your candidacy. Um, and so I would strongly encourage you to make sure that you live in the district. Here's what I want to say to that. The state law does not require an individual, he or she, who wants to pursue public office for a U.S. House seat to live in the actual district in which they're running for. So he has not broken any laws. It's not illegal. It's nothing that no one else has done. I also want to point out that Phil Gingrey, when he decided to run for Congress the first time for his newly created district, he did not live in the district. I also want to point out that many people know that uh, former Congressman Bob Barr, who didn't live in his district early in his congressional days, and I want to be fair because many folks probably listen and say he only focused on Republicans, I also want to say that it's no secret that Congressman David Scott, who represents a district, who doesn't reside in that district. And so I think it's a personal choice for Don, John Ossoff to live in his district. Um, John Barrow, who I used to work for, who represented the 12th Congressional District. You may remember you reported on this moving around from Augusta to Athens, mm-hmm. Savannah, um, to, to live in a district. It is something that the Republicans are going to spend a lot of time on trying to discredit him. But ultimately, to answer your question, I don't think it hurts him um, that bad. It's just another uh, negative divisive talking point that many Republicans are going to use to try to discredit him. And as a matter of fact, I do know that there are more than 20 currently serving in the U.S. House of Representatives nationally who do not live in the districts that they represent. That's a great point. And, um, and, and, and that's one of the things that I think that the campaign has got to educate um, the voters about because when you and, and let's let's also quote what John Ossoff said. John Ossoff basically is dating a young lady, his girlfriend. They live together in a um, uh, place on this outside the district, but she I think currently is in medical school. Yeah, so she's they made at Emory, yeah, yeah, she's at Emory, and so I think they made a personal. Okay, I want to stress personal choice as a couple um, to 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 re- continue to reside where they are living. 
But I don't think that this discredits this young man in any way for wanting to go to Washington to serve. How was it that it came so close in the special election for the district to flip from from red to blue? I mean, there's only uh, probably less than 5,000 votes of those cast Mm -hmm. that separated the total number of Republican ballots cast versus the 48% of the vote that Ossoff got on, on, on the special election day. Well, at a time where I'm really still looking at the numbers and um, a lot of uh, people were sort of talking about numbers this week, so I don't uh, have accurate numbers. But one of the things that I do know, and just from my brief research, is that turnout was uh, average. It was a little lower than, um, you know, of course, than most elections because it was a special election. But what was so interesting is that there's still room for John Ossoff's campaign to grow amongst minority voters in the district. You have a lot of registered African-American Hispanic voters in DeKalb and Cobb and particularly in Fulton who are registered people who we know turned out in November 2016 for the presidential election that did not turn out in this special election. And so I think that John's pathway to victory is he's got to do what I talked about earlier, which is appeal to moderate to Republican voters and independent voters as well. But he's also got to make sure that he turns out the people who voted for him um, earlier in the month. But more importantly, he's got to make sure that he focuses on driving up the percentage of the turnout amongst African-Americans and Hispanics in that district. And so what's so interesting is the way that the district was drawn is that the, the it's really pockets of the district that really benefit Karen Handel because she can not do as well uh, as she probably wants to do in the cab and cob, but if she really overperforms in places in Fulton, particularly in North Fulton, um, that's that's sort of a pathway for her. But let's not let's not um, miss the moment here. John Ossoff's campaign received not only just so much national money, but it received so much national attention because Georgia is a state that is on the cusp of becoming, I believe, a blue state again. We're not totally red, as some people like to think. I think we're a slight pink, and we're trending towards purple. And I think ultimately in the next two to four to maybe six years, you and I are going to come back on this show, and I think Georgia will be a blue state again. Many of the national commentators, of which you are one, Theron, will say that one of the reasons that the Democrats did not perform well in the 2016 general election had a lot to do with so-called identity politics. And the one minority that felt like it was not representative, that of the the white male voter, was the real minority that stood up, spoke up, and won. And here we are 100 days into the 45th presidency of the United States with Donald J. Trump. I've got to give President Donald Trump some credit. I think that he revolutionized how people run for president in this country for the next two to three decades. What Donald Trump's campaign was really about, it wasn't about being a Republican. It wasn't even really about um, running as a Republican to represent their values. Donald Trump's campaign was focusing on running against Democrats and Republicans. He was able to be the face of, a, of anger and hate uh, in this country because of, not because of President Barack Obama, because we got to remember, on Election Day in November, President Barack Obama had a 56% approval rating amongst Americans. Many of these white males who you just described voted for President Trump. I'm sorry. Many of these white males that you just described, many of them voted for President Obama in 2008, and they voted for him 
in the re-election campaign, which I was a part of uh, as a Southern Regional Director in 2012. But what Donald Trump did that was so magnificent is that he focused a very divisive message and really trying to capture the anger and the hate amongst these voters, many of these white males, educated um, or non-educated, um, but particularly amongst the Rust Belt, up in those Rust Belt states, he told them that I want to go and clean up Washington, but more importantly, I want to bring back American jobs. And that was something that was very interesting, but also I think a lot of these voters voted for Donald Trump because they wanted someone to go to Washington to shake things up. Now, let's get to your point about the first 100 days. Donald Trump, has he has um, fulfilled that promise. He has gone to Washington and definitely shake things up. This is a president who said that within his first 100 days that he was going to totally defeat ISIS. Okay, Now, let's give him credit. He has gone and he has uh, authorized um, for, I guess, 30-plus of the ISIS people to be killed through a bomb. But just because you send missiles and just because you decide to bomb someone does not make you presidential. The second campaign promise that this president made is that he was going to go to Washington and he was going to repeal and replace Obamacare. Well, we saw what happened. They came out with a very um, divisive, uh, not fully thought out plan. 17 percent approval rating amongst the American people. People rejected it and it didn't even make it to the House floor for a vote. And then he also said he came out and he put forth a executive order for a travel ban that was just so deplorable and so divisive and so not well thought out that it totally disrupted this country in a way where we had massive protests all across the country at airports. Now, what's so interesting about what this administration is doing is that we saw this week that they went on all the national public, uh, I'm sorry, we saw this week that they went on all the national talk shows and said, oh, we're not worried about this 100-day mark. Oh, it's just a fictitious um, guideline or deadline that people uh, put out there. It doesn't matter. We're here to govern for the American people. But if you go back and you look at files of, of tweets and tapes and video, all Donald Trump talked about during his campaign and even after his campaign and even while in his presidency was that I was going to do A, B, and C in the first 100 days. So this is supposed to be a honeymoon period for a president. Every president before him has had a honeymoon period of the first 100 days. And I may add that while Donald Trump, let's be fair, he has done a really good job of uh, pushing forth executive orders that are dealing with regulatory issues. More since any president, I think, since Harry Truman. Absolutely. But look at what President Obama was able to do within his first 100 days. Way more than he did. I mean, President Obama got in there and had to basically put forth a, a stimulus package that benefit millions of Americans and restore economic prosperity in this country. And I can go on and on about the things that he's done. I think that this president and what we knew when he was running for office is that it's a difference between being a candidate for president but actually knowing how to govern as president. And I think that his inability to work with a Republican-controlled House and a Republican-controlled Senate to get bills passed, and let's add, let's not forget this, this president has been the slowest president out of any president in fulfilling 
uh, politically appointed position appointees in his administration and getting people confirmed you have cabinet positions now that actually may have a leader but they don't have the necessary staff because they can't get anybody approved and they haven't been able to put forth good candidates to go through the uh, appointee process in Washington. And so I think if I had to grade the first 100 days with President Trump, uh, I wouldn't say that he uh, receives an F because I think that uh, getting his Supreme Court nominee um, um, confirmed was a big win for him. But I think I would give him an average uh, grade of a C because I think that um, he's off to a bad start. And I think how he's handled this 100-day mark um, was not handled well. And I think that he's got to regroup and focus on core issues that matter to the American people. We're going to have to leave it right there, Theron Johnson. Tell me you'll come back. We'll talk some more. Absolutely. Thanks. Have a good one. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, condo 29 on Twitter or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective.